0: Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. Now, trust in politicians, East and West, is at an all time low. The coronavirus pandemic didn't begin this suspicion. Rather, it no more than unearthed a deep rooted feeling that governments are hiding something from us and not telling us the entire truth. In this era of social mistrust, a vacuum has opened up and has been filled with so called social media experts use and abuse statistics and present alternative facts to the public. Of course, in general, everyone has a right to present expertise and knowledge, and this is a position confirmed by Islam and our history. However, what is pronounced today is the increase of non-experts that forward their views and gain an audience upon conspiracy theories and half-baked truths. Social media has allowed non-specialists to have a disproportionate voice forward in conspiracy theories and unverified facts. Today, I explore the facts and fiction that pervades the knowledge space with Muslim experts that offer their knowledge and analysis on our current situation. I would suggest this suspicion of expertise and the irrational response to all information damages the mind of the Muslim community. It opens us up to be vulnerable to political actors like Russia and China, but also the United States, that wishes to sow confusion and disunity within our ranks. My first guest is Dr. Navid Saeed, who is a senior public health specialist working for Public Health England. He has spent the past year seconded to Pakistan, helping to enhance the public health readiness for crisis, just like the one we are witnessing today. Naveed is speaking to us today in a personal capacity. Dr. Naveed, you've spent over 20 years in public health and um, you've also spent time in Pakistan looking at uh, the public health system there. So maybe you, you'll be the best person to answer this question. How did we get here? The coronavirus, um, as far as I understand it, came uh, from an in, from a interaction between human beings and bats in a market in Wuhan. But also, there are a number of conspiracy theories that uh, that suggest that the, um, uh, the the disease came from a a lab somewhere, and the Chinese are blaming the American army. So, can you shed some light on the origins of this virus?
1: Okay, uh, firstly, uh, the, the, we don't know for sure that it's from a bat in an animal market. Investigations are. Uh, you know, have been conducted, uh, but there is no conclusive proof as to the exact origin of this particular uh, pandemic. Uh, Some early cases were linked to uh, a live market in uh, Wuhan, but there have have been possibly other cases that predate that, that aren't linked to the market. But, uh, you know, in, in short, from early December, we know that there was potentially a case. Uh, I remember actually you know, seeing it on on the, the sort of the, the public health radar at the end of uh, i think it was just after Christmas because um, uh, we get these sort of uh, global uh, alerts in the public health uh, community. But just sort of rewinding it a little bit, I just needed to clarify uh, that and, and the, again, the other thing that you know, people are concerned about, and, and again in in the age of social media, uh, people talk about, "Well, is this something created in the lab? Is this biological warfare um, the Again, the evidence suggests that it, this is uh, this occurred naturally you know there's, there's no evidence because people have studied the uh, uh, the DNA. Uh, of the uh, of uh, COVID nineteen uh, causing bug and and there's as I say there's no evidence that it's it's malicious in that sense.
0: Can you tell me a bit more about the relationship between animals and the coronavirus?
1: Now these coronaviruses they uh, tend to live in the uh, animal population uh, and they don't cause disease in the animal population um, and. Uh, and that's very normal. Sometimes when you have uh, interaction between the human population and the animal population, these viruses that don't cause illnesses in in uh, the animal kingdom can jump over into the, the human population and start to cause uh, illnesses.
0: And how does that process work, jumping between animals and human beings?
1: So this bug we think lived in the animal population uh, and uh, managed to, you know, uh, through close interaction uh, with the human population, somehow transfer, and then uh, it may have mutated in in the individual, which allowed it to then be passed on from person to person in an in, in quite a, a, an effective way, as 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 we've seen. So much so that within a few weeks of that. Um, the international community was able to WHO, uh, you know, uh, classify this as what we call a public health emergency of international concern, which is where we we've got to now in terms of, of the pandemic.
0: And you say it's somehow transferred. Is there some doubt about how the process of transfer happened?
1: Yes, this coronavirus is known to be sort of in in bats, but what we think has happened, it's gone from a bat to another animal species, changed a little bit and then got into the human population like that. So that's the current theory and it may uh, it may change.
0: And we seem to be learning a lot about COVID-19. I mean, every day there seems to be additional news and information coming up, uh, out about the, the virus. Uh, but can you tell me, why is it so contagious? I mean, we, we learn that... Uh, there is a a phase in uh, someone uh, receiving the the, uh, the virus where he or she can pass on uh, the, the transmit the virus without showing uh, explicit symptoms
1: because partly because it 's a new virus and, and that 's um, one of its uh, earlier names it was novel coronavirus so it 's a new virus so it's it's one that the human population hasn't been exposed to before, and if it's a a new infection that you haven't been exposed to before, uh, you you don't have what's called that natural immunity uh, to defend against that. Nor is there what's called the community or herd immunity that that can prevent its spread. So a, a brand new bug that's that that that's come. Uh, that is able to cause illness and be transmitted easily can can then you know uh, spread quite uh, quickly uh, through the susceptible population.
0: And I think what has caught a lot of us by surprise is just how uh, this disease can transmit when you're in an asymptomatic stage. Uh, I I want to understand that further. How does that work?
1: With many other viruses or, or other diseases, essentially. When you become ill with symptoms, that's when you generally start to pass on the infection to other people. Um, so uh, uh, when you, as I say, become ill and tired and coughing and sweating or feverish, that's when you, you are known to be able to spread it to other people. But what that does, the, the, the body's mechanism there is it makes you ill. So you generally stay at home. Or you go seek medical attention. Um, So it's easier to control that. With this particular virus, um, what's known is that people have been spreading it before they feel ill. So it can be three or four days before you've got symptoms that you've actually been passing it on to other people.
0: But I suppose another element to it, which makes it a, a very... Problematic uh, virus is just how asymptomatic carriers, who never show symptoms, can transmit it to others. And I, I note that uh, that makes even congregational prayers and salatul jumma extremely difficult because you may have it uh, but show no signs of having it.
1: Uh, there are uh, there are certain populations who are able to trans who don't generally show symptoms and are able to uh, we believe are able to transmit it like like youngsters you know they they're not showing the same symptoms that older people are showing uh, and there is evidence that some of them are able to transmit it as well so so that's why once it sort of gets into a community it's much harder to control which is why it's really important at the early stages to have this really aggressive really aggressive measures of uh, you know, uh, detecting cases, treating them, contact tracing, case finding. So these are the really important um, uh, ways in which we can try and control coronavirus. But this particular bug is unusual compared to other bugs because it can transmit infection before you become ill.
0: Now, Dr. Naveed, it seems to me that we live in an age where Uh, We get information from uh, deeply untrustworthy sources, from social media pundits and uh, experts like yourself are regarded as being uh, possibly untrustworthy. Um, Any points on on how we can remedy
1: this? You know, I I would always, you know... uh gets you know uh, any anyone I'm talking to and people who may be listening to this to 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 go to trusted sources for information so the the world health organization has very good quality information about all of these things so when, when there is so much that is unknown uh, and uh, social media uh, develops its own uh, sort of uh, life uh, i think it's now more important than ever that people have good quality information from good quality sources. So I would go to these trusted sources and 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 listen to the advice. So when when the experts are saying what we need to do now is social distancing or physical distancing, staying at home as much as you can. And lots of people will, will have heard of the, the the term flattening the curve, right? Uh, and, and the implications for that is that we you know, uh, we slow the spread of disease so that healthcare systems are able to respond to those who are getting ill.
0: Now, you're a Muslim doctor, and uh, you can see the effect of uh, prolonged lockdowns can have on on, uh, on our mind and our mental health. And um, uh, we know that uh, a vaccine may be some time away. Um uh, it seems that it could even be as late as 18 months before a vaccine is found to the coronavirus uh, pandemic. And and uh, even after that, uh, as uh, people like you would probably say, uh, there's no guarantee the virus would disappear from our lives. So how do we respond to this new reality we now live in?
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's a really good uh, question. And, and thanks for asking that. I mean, what uh, I mean. I suppose the, the the place where I would start is that uh, what we see happening is obviously outside of our control. Um, that the disease, it's it it's spread uh, and and how it's manifest. We would take that as being part of the qadr of Allah, uh, and so our interaction with that environment, we need to. Go back to to understanding the areas of life that we control and the areas of life that are outside our control, uh, and because this is the the of we we need to respond uh, effectively. We need to sort of reevaluate our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with other people, and our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa taala because of the, the, the change in, in, in the environment. Um, so all of these things, we, we need to look at the Qur'an. So now we need to speak to learning people to ask how best we can we can function in, in the new reality because the new reality is the God um, of And, you know, uh, going sort of back to, uh, I mean, there's the famous Hadith of Safina, the, uh, the, the, uh, where the people on the boat, you know, the people on the lower deck of the boat and the upper deck of the boat, and the relationship that they have is is one that is really important in this situation, is is if, you know, if a few people at the top of the boat don't realise that they have a responsibility uh, 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 that is equal to the people at the bottom of the boat, you know, where the water's leaking in, then everyone suffers, so it's it's really encapsulating the sort of the, the 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 meaning of that.
0: So that's a very positive way to look at our current predicament. I mean, how practically can we direct this positivity?
1: Using what we have as an opportunity to reorientate, to recalibrate our relationships with ourselves, with each other, uh, and with Allah, swan Allah So we are we are put in this situation when we need to you know, uh, be positive and make sort of the the, the the most of that and develop a stronger relationship uh, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, be more careful about what, what we do, but also not to, uh, you know, abandon our social responsibility. Uh, we may not be able to, or we're not encouraged to go to the mosques in Jama because we can spread that around and there is precedence from Islam Around how to function, where you know where you've got diseases or plagues, what is the the social responsibility? So it's being aware of those things and, and and know that every action that we do, if we do it with the right reason and the right intention, could be an act of worship. And in fact, in certain situations, the scholars argue that you get more reward for not praying in jama' and going to the mosque than you know, in this situation, than you would going to the mosque, um, you know, because you're putting other people at harm.
0: So a Muslim needs to make the most out of this crisis.
1: Allah's providing us an opportunity. Uh, he's he's uh, creating a different set of variables and circumstances and just seeing how we respond to those things. We respond, we, we, we face all walks of challenges, or manners of challenges, I should say, every day of our lives, and different challenges that Allah puts in our path that we can't predict. Um, And and we respond to those things differently based upon our our, our values. So this is just a different set of uh, uh, challenges, a different environment, that Allah is seeing how we respond to that. And and we need to take that opportunity positively uh, and work with it, you know, uh, and again, so it's not you know, and it, it's not sort of it, it's not seen as a, a a negative thing. It could be a, a very empowering thing where we are able to recalibrate. We are able to you know reorientate our thinking, our value system, realizing things that are important. If if there are individuals who are very secular in their outlet outlook or, or very um, driven by material wealth or those that are driven by popularity fame uh you know uh, social interaction and they're being all of them are being forced in a different environment then it's it's how we respond to that challenge if in a year's time we're back to where we were as individuals then has anything really changed
0: my next guest is Dr Imran Wahid, and uh, he is uh one of many doctors in the UK that are currently dealing with the uh, crisis and uh, how it's unfolding. So I I asked him about uh, these conspiracy theories and Facebook experts and how they're contributing to this pandemic crisis in a negative way. Now, Imran, one of the uh, conspiracy theories or one of the arguments used by some who uh, suggest that a lockdown was unnecessary here in the UK and across Europe and across the world is the herd immunity argument, the notion that the virus can spread within the population. And if uh, a a great number of people uh, who are not going to be harmed by the virus, if they are able to uh, naturally receive the virus and you shield the vulnerable people in the population, you're allowed to then continue economic life. And some have argued there must be an ulterior motive because this is the obvious way to deal with the virus. Uh, Just allow it to spread uh, across healthy people like we allow the flu virus. And I'll talk about the flu a bit later on, uh, but like we allow other forms of viruses. Uh, And so you create this natural herd immunity. And and I suppose naturally the virus would die away from the population uh, because too many people carry uh, the virus. I mean, how would, you, how would you as a doctor tackle this uh, this notion of herd immunity?
2: You know, the, pro- the problem is uh, natural herd immunity, which is achieved through infection kind of rather than vaccination, uh, that can be quite challenging because if you have an infection kind of just spreading through the population, I, I can't remember if that's the u- term Boris used, but you know, if you if you let the infection just spread throughout the population, you can end up with a, a very high rate of serious illness and death, and then actually healthcare systems become overwhelmed, well beyond their surge capacity. Even in you know developed countries which are, have high incomes, um, it's very unusual to pursue herd immunity other than through a vaccination program. Um, and even when you have vaccines available you can't always achieve herd immunity because some viruses, for example, like the seasonal flu, uh, you know, they mutate quite frequently so they can evade uh, the body's immune response. So immunity doesn't always last forever. And that's why, you know, people end up having to have a flu jab, you know, every single year because the the, the particular strain of the virus, you know, changes.
0: So why, Imran, do people believe in... Um... In your view, in in uh, these conspiracy theories, and why are people so gullible, and and why do they accept uh, the various social media messages that does the rounds in in uh, and have been doing the rounds in recent days? I mean, let's take a a common uh, stat that's sent around about flu and influenza, and how uh, influenza kills more people than COVID nineteen, and we don't close down the economy and close down society and. Uh, have a, a pretty punitive lockdown as a result of of uh, of the flu pandemic
2: so some of them appeared to be of the view that actually this is um you know very similar to any seasonal flu um like influenza um and i think that was uh, you know a view which even a lot of doctors held so I don't, I don't think it's surprising that there are some who are of that view now it doesn't seem to be borne out by you know what we've seen now, what we've seen in China uh what we've seen in other European countries now in Italy in Spain you know it's it it's significantly uh more uh contagious, the mortality seems significantly higher you know there's no vaccine there's no treatments um other than kind of supportive treatments like oxygen, so we are dealing with something different now, I think there's two kind of sets of reasons why people uh talk about it in this way to basically say well actually it's you know it's let's put things in perspective this is not really that much you know so for example i saw you know things going around about the number of you know deaths from car accidents or you know being struck by lightning and you know or the number of uh, terminations of pregnancy abortions and then you know and then you know the number of deaths from seasonal flu and then the number of deaths from covid-19 so there there are some who are saying well look actually if you you know if you want to have a sense of perspective this is not actually a great you know big deal lots of people die people die all the time um now those who make that argument i don't i don't think the statistics back up that argument i think you know i think the science uh you know suggests that actually um most developed countries now have had to respond to that science, and shut down their societies because this thing was spreading, and killing a lot of people. Um, and you know, health services, even in the most developed health services in the world, for example, in the north of Italy, um, these have been very, very quickly overwhelmed.
0: Let me let me chat. So the flu has never overstretched uh, the health service, say in Italy.
2: Not, not that I'm aware of. Okay, look, people will talk about. Spanish flu and you know black plague and things like that yeah i mean i'm I'm not an expert expert on the you know on the history of these outbreaks um but you know modern health systems in uh wealthy nations um yes there's an argument that you know they have taken the brunt of austerity, and yes there's an argument that you know these healthcare systems um where they are publicly funded you know they don't they don't provide, you know, uh, um, you know, an, an A-class service, for example. You know, there is that criticism. But generally, they are not overwhelmed. They, they do have, you know, great amount of pressure at certain times of year. So, you know, usually we have the, the kind of flu season, the winter. That is, uh, you know, and, and that's a period of time when governments put in extra money. So, for example, in the NHS in the UK, you will always hear talk of winter pressures money. So money which is coming in to deal with the pressures of winter, you know, extra beds, um, you know, trying to get people out quicker, you know, extra staff so people get seen quicker and you don't have long queues in A&E. But, uh, you know, what we have seen actually, though, is having to build, you know, hospitals. Okay, it's not a it's not a brand new hospital in terms of bricks and mortar, but having to repurpose the Excel center and turn it into a 4000 bed hospital. And then do the same thing in many different cities, in Birmingham, in Belfast, in in Harrogate, in Manchester, in Bristol, many, many places in Scotland. That tells you that actually um, this is on a different scale. Now, there's the discussion for those, my view, those who say, well, actually, you know, so I was reading something, I think, in the Spectator uh, magazine. um, And then we've seen others, people like Lord Sumption have written in the Sunday Times just this week, I think um and their 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 motive really is to say well uh look this is going to kill people and you know lots of people die and lots of different things kill people and we need to be careful that the cure is not either lockdown is not worse than the disease um and their argument is that you're going to completely destroy the economy. So this is a political argument. And obviously, any, any state, any society needs to get the expert advice from virologists, from epidemiologists, from their chief medical officers. And then the politicians have to decide. What can they take? How many deaths can their society stomach? Um, what level of adversity? And on the other hand, how long a lockdown can they tolerate? How many businesses will go bust? How many individuals will go bankrupt? and then on top of that how many people will you know develop depression anxiety other physical health problems cardiovascular disease for example um so there is that wider equation so some people's motive for saying well actually we've got to have some perspective is kind of an ideological political economic motive if you see what i'm saying but they're trying to say well look yeah this is you know this is bad lots of people are going to die um But why ruin our economy? Because in the long run, you know, uh, a lot of these people are going to so these guys will say a lot of these people are going to die anyway. They're old or they're vulnerable. But even then, we see that this is actually affecting people who are healthy and well. Um, And flu can you know, affect people who are healthy and well. But for flu, at least, you know, we have vaccines and treatments and a long history of dealing with it. So that's one possibility. Uh, for why people kind of latch onto that. The other possibility of it is almost like the, as you say, the kind of conspiracy theory. So I've seen, you know, I've seen people post a photo, you know, or or video footage of, hey, look, guys, I'm I'm at this hospital in New York. And they're saying that, you know, the hospitals are completely overrun with patients. But look at this place. It's got, there's no one here. Look, it's empty. Um, So what's all this about? That means there's something going on here. Um, how, why are we shutting down the economy? There must be people who are benefiting from this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, based on—it's not really based on evidence. They're just saying, "Well, this is weird. Why would you know? Why would capitalist states completely shut down their economy in, in 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 such a in such a way?"
0: I mean, Imran, I sent out a message to my friends and family on WhatsApp to 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 urge them to verify. Messages before they send it out on their WhatsApp distribution list, and uh, one brother responded by saying, "Well, you know, uh, that would mean that you're just uh, going to lap up. You're going to accept uh, the arguments of of a government, and the government lied over WMD, and uh, they are likely to lie here. And here you go. Here's a here's a theory, and that theory is X. And and it seemed to me that the theory was was not founded on any." Credible foundation but this person felt it necessary to tell me about an idea that he had conjured up presumably on uh through the ether
2: the the point is conspiracies generally become you know a matter of faith rather than something that that can be you know proved or 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 disproved um so you end up getting this kind of if if you get into a discussion about these things the discussion tends to become very circular
0: And a number of uh, Facebook uh, posts have been going around uh, describing the um, death rates uh, this year in comparison to death rates in previous years. And I suppose they're trying to imply through these comparative statistics uh, that uh, the number of people that are dying uh, uh, is not abnormal at this time of year. People die and, and people die every year. And so governments must be... Uh, trying to exaggerate the claims of uh, of COVID-19 uh, for a notarial motive.
2: What we know is that for COVID-19, the number of uh, severe and critical infections, um, so severe infections are those that kind of require oxygen and you know, hospitalisation. Critical are those that require ventilation. So the, the, the number of uh, severe and critical infections for COVID-19 is significantly higher than what is observed for flu. Um, the other um, issues are that mortality for COVID nineteen appears higher than for influenza, especially seasonal influenza. So, I mean, the the, the mortality of COVID nineteen is still going to probably take some time to fully understand. Um, but what the World Health Organization have said is that the crude mortality ratio is between three to four percent. So that is the number of reported deaths divided by the reported cases. Um, so, and for seasonal influenza, the mortality is usually well below 0.1 percent. So, significant difference. And and also, you know, the figures we've seen come out of Italy already. Uh, they show significant excess mortality. So, if you compare March 2020 um, with um, with March of previous years, so for example 2015 to, to 2019, um you'll see a significant difference. Um you'll see that uh you have uh much higher mortality it appears. So there is because the the issue really is is there excess mortality? There are more people dying than would usually die in March. And the answer to that is, you know, Resoundingly, yes. So, you know, if you look in the the, the Bergamo province of Italy, um, the average deaths in March uh, in the last few years, so 2015 to 2019, um, is, is is probably about the 1,000 mark. Um, but the overall deaths in March 2020 was, you know, somewhere above 5,000. Uh, that's that's overall deaths, yeah. So that doesn't, so that's that's not looking at that's not looking at cause, yeah. But okay, have there been like an earthquake or a volcano, or did lots of people have road traffic accidents, or you know, was there an outbreak of food poisoning? What has killed an extra four thousand people in March two thousand and twenty? The confirmed cases in that province are probably just over two thousand, so they don't they don't account for the discrepancy between. The average deaths than what we've seen this March, um, so probably there are excess deaths which are due to coronavirus, uh, where you know especially where you have community deaths which where you haven't got testing.
0: Well, in the UK, the ONS release uh, to the week uh, end in third of April, that there are six and a half thousand additional deaths in the UK, and the ONS argued that uh, it's the highest spike highest rise in uh, weekly deaths they've ever seen um, since the ONS began recording weekly deaths.
2: Um, and I think it's, we've got to be careful about anecdote. But, you know, on the front lines of the NHS, you know, wards, intensive care units are, are full of people. There's, there, you know, there's some who will say, well, you know, some of these people may have tested positive for COVID-19, but they're not dying from COVID-19. Yeah. So look, yeah, fine. If, if, for example, somebody's got COVID-19 in the community and then they go swimming and they drown, um, you know, the death certificate is not going to say COVID-19. The death certificate is going to say drowning. Yeah. So, um, so, but that will take a bit of time um, to come through. So at the moment, yes, yeah, if, if that person drowned and died in hospital and had tested positive for COVID-19, they will come in those daily figures because those daily figures are the deaths of hospital inpatients who have tested positive for COVID-19. But I I can tell you, I mean, the overwhelming consensus among doctors is that, you know, the vast majority of those people who are coming in those figures are dying from COVID-19. These are people who are, have got respiratory problems who have been admitted to hospital with the classic symptoms of COVID-19 and who are dying. And there's many more in the community who it will take more time for them to seep into the statistics.
0: I suppose what is also troubling is uh, many Muslims who may be community activists and who may be uh, in responsible positions in the Muslim community are very ready to embrace these conspiracy theories and to very very openly talk about them and entertain those people who uh, we don't usually entertain who may have theories and ideas which are... Uh, totally against reason and, and rationality. How should we assess the motivations of uh, of such people?
2: Yeah, I, I guess it's hard to know the motive, if, if I'm honest. I mean, if you've got a... That, that's what I'm saying. I can understand the motive on the right. On the right, the motive is to say, well, actually, guys, you're going to completely destroy our economy for something which isn't actually that bad. But if you have an Islamic thinker, you know, and somebody who wants to see, you know, Islam in state and society, what's your motive? Your motive actually is, okay, perhaps you want to look at the response of the Muslim countries and to criticize their response and to talk about how, uh, you know, the rulers in the Muslim world haven't looked after the affairs of people properly. Perhaps you would want to articulate how in an Islamic system you would have responded in a different way to either the rulers in the Muslim world or you know the the developed economies of the west um, so I mean your motive in understanding this issue should be kind of in a in a in a very neutral unbiased way trying to understand uh the science the medicine um and I would say people should do that not from not from me but from you know there are lots of experts in virology and public health and epidemiology there are many um and you know i have yet uh to come across um experts in those fields saying that this is not a significant threat um to all societies developed and you know developing i've not come across experts uh you know who who feel that what is being done is you know over the top in fact you come across a lot of expertise in the West amongst, you know, epidemiologists and public health doctors. uh, Criticise the government. Exactly. Who are very critical, who are saying, well, actually, you know, when I caught a a flight in Lahore in Pakistan, my temperature was checked five times. And when I got off the flight, when I got off the plane. And my passport
0: was checked 20 times.
2: Well, exactly. Yeah. And when I got off the plane at Toronto, there was nobody to be seen. Nobody came and asked, or, you know, when I went to you know, a particular country, so I saw this, this British guy on the BBC, he came back from Sri Lanka and he was saying how many times he was checked, how many forms he had to fill in about his symptoms, about his medical history, his travel history. And then he gets to the UK and nothing happens. So there are people who have been very, very critical um, of the response and are actually of the view that you know, this is, a, is a, an absolutely major threat So I I don't know what their motive is, but, you know, the motive of a Muslim, you know, somebody who aspires to look after the affairs uh, of his ummah and also to, you know, bring the mercy of Islam to mankind should be to have a really sincere discussion about, look, this is actually a major problem for humanity. What is it that can be done? How is it that you can harness the resources, for example, of a state? How is it that you can influence the behavior of the people? And, and people are thinking about this at a much higher level, unfortunately, than some of the Muslims. for so they are thinking about human behavior, for example, the nudge theory and things like that, and behavioral science. They're thinking, and, and and those things are not unimportant. Because if you're going to have a public health response, you need to kind of have an understanding of how are your people going to cope with whatever you ask of them? And how are you going to carry your people with you? And what will be the collateral damage down the line, maybe years down the line, of you know telling people that they can't go out, telling people that you know they can't go to the gym, uh, because already, I mean, as a psychiatrist, I'm already starting to see, even in these early days, uh, the kind of knock-on effects of what the government has done, and obviously that's a political that's a political decision, isn't it? The government have to, in any state, have to weigh up you're going to take certain steps which are going to you know um avoid harm but they may also cause harm and i don't i don't think there's any country which has a strategy which can somehow avoid the consequences of the virus protect the economy and avoid the long term consequences i think that's impossible
0: right yeah i mean i wanted to ask you about that. and maybe maybe it's probably better to invite you back and and you can talk about uh the the mental Health consequences um, of the virus, and I mean just the very fact that uh, uh, many people are are now in their homes for for very long periods. In fact, sometimes permanently for for a number of weeks. They're, they're just uh, that's obviously going to have an impact, right? The lack of social contact, uh, the isolation, especially for old people who may not be uh, that uh, happy to use technology or, or can't use the technology. That indeed is going to have an impact on their mental health. Yeah, I think,
2: you know, we need to to think carefully about this. This is a a disease which has killed many people uh, and it will kill many people. And um, the, you know, dealing with death and bereavement is a risk to one's mental health if one, uh, you know, doesn't have the appropriate tools uh, to do so. And that is going to be an issue. for both uh Muslims and others that will you know that will be a massive issue you know we see people now you know who have become uh you know have spent a life of depression because they struggled to deal with a loss many many years ago now you know we are hearing of cases where you know husband and wife are both ill both in intensive care, brothers both ill both in intensive care, so this thing will affect families. So, you know, the, the death of a young 13 year old that has profound consequences. And the family couldn't attend the funeral. Exactly. Right? And that's the other thing. So they, they always talk in mental health. And, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It's going to be a big topic. But you talk about things like closure. Those things are very important. And obviously in Islam, you know, Islam defined, you know, set periods of mourning as an example to try and give clo- to, you know, to bury the dead um, speedily to bring about rapid closure. Um, not obviously you know that one has completely overcome uh the trauma but uh, these things are quite important and those things are problematic at the moment that even the usual rituals of people amongst muslims and non-muslims when people die uh impossible to observe them a lot of people already i'm seeing have lost jobs have lost their income uh that is affecting them and that is you know we know that Uh, unemployment and austerity are linked uh, very closely to suicide. So if you were to plot unemployment rates over the last hundred years and suicide rates over the last hundred years, it would follow a very, very similar trajectory.
0: Yet, uh, Imran, we we get messages from from Muslims who say that, you know, depression and mental illness is a fabrication and it's not made up. It's made up and it it doesn't have any real basis in in, uh, empirical study
2: i th- I think you know the the issue here is that anybody who wants to bring forward you know i mean i you know i i have uh patients for example uh i, I have people in the local community in which i work i mean they will they will give you holy water from some you know mountain in kashmir um <laughs> and and tell you that that will cure you of all your ailments and will you know um you know there are people who post notes. Uh, you know, through doors, saying, you know, I am Sheikh Abu Bakr from Nigeria, and I will, I will bring back your love, who you lost, you know, whatever. Um, so, you know, anybody who wants to say something needs to, you know, bring evidence, isn't it? Because anecdote, I mean, all these kind of witch doctors in our community, for example, they will show you an anecdote of, you know, somebody who, you know, was unable to walk, and you know, they were they suddenly saw them and were able to walk, but you know, the, the, hun- these people are not on kind of Google reviews or TripAdvisor. Uh, you know, you can't, you're not going to get those hundred people who, you know, actually paid the money and didn't get any results. So I think there is something important here about the scientific process. Yeah, look, there are major issues with, you know, the role of the pharmaceutical industry. There are all sorts of perverse incentives uh, in some parts of medicine. And, you know, we need to, we need to be thinking, you in, in order to understand these things, but, uh, you know, at a, at a simple level uh you know mental illness is, is something which exists which you know many many i mean while you say that many other brothers get in touch with me asking me on a daily basis for help for advice and i i think expertise is something important especially these days i mean i was i was sitting a discu- discussing earlier uh with my team about a patient and they said well the patient said they're not going to you know they're not going to take the dose you said they've checked on google and uh, you know, they're not happy. And I've said, well, that's okay. Then I mean, why do I need to carry on treating this particular patient? I mean, if they're, if they feel competent that they've checked on Google and that they can manage their own health and they don't need my expertise, that that's perfectly fine. Um, but yeah, you know, look, we want people to be informed. We, and it's really good as a, as a doctor to come across patients who are well informed, you know, who have studied things, who are challenging, who come back with, you know, critical views and say well actually i don't want to take an antidepressant because i think you know i'll you know my problems will be better solved by doing something else Uh, you know that's really good and should be encouraged but we've got to be careful i mean people there are there are a lot of charlatans out there um and let's be honest whatsapp and google have made you know everybody's auntie has become a an expert in virology in the last few weeks
0: but but i suppose when we look at expertise i mean there's one thing being informed and when you're informed about Say your own personal health, then you're going to make wiser decisions about your diet, and, and you're going to, you know, that's one thing. But being informed doesn't make you an expert.
2: I think the issue is people need to think about consequences. So, um, I mean, look at the look at the situation of Sweden, um, where you know people were holding this up as you know a great liberal democracy where people are mature. And, you know, you can tell them, you can give them advice. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to lock them down. You don't have to have tough measures. Um, But now, you know, the the number of deaths is accelerating very, very fast in Sweden. Um, And I I would like to see those people who were saying, well, Sweden is actually a good example. People were saying that a week or two ago, saying, well, Sweden isn't uh, taking this pandemic seriously. Um, Whereas, you know, the prime minister today has said, well, we 're going to have a lot of people uh, we're to, we need to, who, are, who are dying and we, we need to prepare for thousands of deaths and there's now a backlash um, and I think thousands of doctors and academics have signed a petition now urging tougher action um, and one scientist accused Sweden of playing Russian roulette with the Swedish population and I think that you know if you're sending something out which you're you know which is not your kind of expertise and you don't have uh, the knowledge or the experience to to verify that what is being said is accurate then i think you've got to be careful because you could be playing russian roulette um, because for example you 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 know you may say to people well actually um you can go and pray Juma, and only those people who are old and have got respiratory conditions should stay away um, and you can you can you can push that out widely and then you'll get people uh, insisting on going to pray in the masajid and actually, being major vectors of transmission, which is what we've seen. We've seen in Muslim countries like Malaysia, it was prayer meetings where, and even it, even one of the outbreaks we have here in in the Black Country uh, near to Birmingham, that was a church. It was a number of uh, uh, a number of uh, Christians, I believe, in a, in a local church uh, who continued to meet, and it seems that there was a there was a, a concentration of cases which emerged from that congregation. Oh,
0: and in South Korea, there was that church. That religious group in, and and they say the majority of the uh, phase one cases came from the, just that one religious
2: group. Yeah, I mean, look in in Sweden, you see they took the view that every person should take their responsibility for slowing the spread, so they just left it to the individual, which is the view of you know obviously those on the on the on the right wing, the kind of libertarian view, is you know leave it to the individual. Um, the state shouldn't interfere. So, you know, they had made... The Toby Toby Young. Exactly, but, the, you know, there's many other... I mean, Toby Young is kind of on the extreme of that, yeah? But there are many others who hold that sentiment. Um, and you will see more of it in the days ahead as, you know, the economic situation begins to bite. If it was felt that this is just going to spread amongst the people, and that doesn't really matter because people will become ill, but they won't need hospital admission, why open a hospital of 4,000 beds in London? Why open a hospital in Birmingham of 2,000 beds? Why close down all your surgery, which will have knock-on effects, by the way, in terms of mortality and morbidity? You know, if you are waiting for life-saving cancer surgery, by the time all this is finished, you know, your cancer may no longer be operable. It may not be possible to operate on that cancer. Um, You know, so there are major knock-on effects, no doubt. And, and, uh, you know, all of that has probably got to be factored in somewhere. But why do you, you know, why do you change and repurpose your operating theaters into intensive care units? Um, Why have you got surgeons, you know, in some hospitals, surgeons are nurses now. So I I was reading on Twitter, an ENT surgeon, he is, his role now is moving patients in intensive care, you know, moving their position in the bed. He's because he can't operate. Um, And that's his skill. His skill is surgery and there's no surgery going on. So they are getting him now to help in an intensive care unit, not as an intensive care doctor, but as an intensive care nurse. So why would you do all of that if you felt that there were not going to be any extra admissions?
0: Now, Imran, the mosque shut and Salatul al is no longer being prayed every week in, in the mosques. And this is an exercise a number of Muslims. And we have uh, come across uh, some Islamic scholars uh, and learned people who have sent out fatawa to say that you know, why can't we just um, shield the vulnerable people in society and test people at the door when they come into the masjid? And uh, those who don't show symptoms, they should be allowed to pray Salat al uh, Some have said to me that, you know, it's better that we die than if we leave our salah in the masjid. Uh, I mean, that, you know, and, and I've heard a lot of this uh, over the last few weeks. You know I have a little expertise in in politics and international relations, and um I often get annoyed when when people make pretty daft conclusions about uh you know which they call political analysis um but uh, but but that the consequence of that analysis is is pretty negligible right it's not gonna harm someone and so you can laugh it off and you, you can sort of see it for what it is here you know the consequences are quite. Uh, are are potentially life threatening. uh fine you know that's that's a scholar who's who just doesn't understand uh the reality of of the um of the world he's living in right and he doesn't understand the reality of this particular disease but but his fatwa is going to have a a, a consequence on ordinary people and i know that you know i've got a family member who after reading that you know they rang me up and said, You know you've been exaggerating this, and i 'm going to read Juma with my friends um, this coming friday and you know wh- why and you know he was, he said to me you're scaremongering and uh, you know here is a scholar who's given me a a, a proper verdict, and, uh, and he was he was intent on on praying Juma uh with his mates and you know getting a venue and 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 coming together and and praying Salat to juma now that's you know, that's going to have a consequence on on him, but also on those people around him who he may infect. Um So, um, you know, I, I think people just need to stay in their lane and they need to rely on expertise. And if they don't trust uh, non-Muslim expertise, and if they think, you know, that somehow they're, they're lying to them, then there are plenty of Muslims who have expertise in this area, who they can ask and and um, who can give them a a... a a clear scientific verdict on 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 just how um, COVID nineteen works and and how it could it can uh, be spread even by those who don't show any any symptoms and and I would like you to talk about that. I mean, how can it be? What is this argument that you know? In many ways, this this disease is is actually worse than some of the other plagues and. And uh, epidemics around because you, you can spread it without showing obvious signs of of being
2: carriers of this illness. I mean, the issue of COVID nineteen is that we know there can be you know tran- you know there can be people who pick it up and who have relatively mild symptoms, yet they spread it to many people, um, and that's a problem. Um, you know, it's it it's it actually means that an individual. Uh, who you know seems fit and well actually spreads it to a lot of other people who are much more vulnerable and in whom it has a completely different effect we also know that there are people who can be asymptomatic because there's an incubation period and the median incubation period and that's incubation period is the time from uh, being infected with the virus to exhibiting symptoms is about five days there's a range but the median is about five days so in that period of time, you could, you know, you could easily infect others because you don't even know that you have symptoms. Um, and I'm, you know, you get people. I mean, look, it's well known amongst doctors and nurses before COVID-19, at least, lots of times you will work with symptoms. You'll go to work even though you've got symptoms. You might have a little cough, you might have a bit of a fever, but you know, the the, the culture is you carry on working until you're really, really ill, and and lots of people do that so we know that from human experience there are people with symptoms who will continue mixing with others you know and that's fine if you haven't got a disease which is very contagious or deadly um but here we're talking about a condition where you may have many many people who go to pray in a mosque for example who are uh carriers of the condition you know they are transmitting the condition they are they don't have any symptoms Um, and they transmit the infection to others you may get people who have it and have mild symptoms who transmit it to others i mean the whole notion of a pandemic a pandemic is essentially um, uh, an epidemic of a disease the rapid spread of a disease uh, across a large region so this is not about the diamond princess or whatever it was called that cruise ship and you've got uh an organism or a virus which is there on that cruise ship which can be you can keep that cruise ship in the sea until it's overcome whoever dies from it dies from it whoever survives it survives it people on land are unaffected by it that isn't what we're talking about here we're talking about the rapid spread of a disease across multiple continents what are you going to cut off because it's spreading there's community transmission rapidly Throughout multiple continents. How are you going? The only way that you can, you know, these viruses, they need to spread from person to person to person. So the way you cut it off and the way you, as they call it, flatten the curve is reducing that spread. Like today, for example, historically, I would have gone and had meetings all day with uh, nursing staff, with medical staff, discussing all of my patients. And we'd all be sitting in the same room and we'd sit round and, you know, we may have tea and coffee together and lunch together. Um, And all of that in this current situation is a means of transmitting the virus between ourselves. So in order to reduce that today, I've worked uh, using, you know, software, video conferencing, and it's worked quite well. And I haven't I haven't you know, I haven't left my office at home in order to do that. And that reduces the risk because I could have picked it up. I could have this condition. I could be asymptomatic. And yes, once you're more sophisticated, I agree. If you can, in a sophisticated way, work out who has had the condition, who hasn't had the condition, who's got immunity to the condition and all of those kind of things, then yes, you can be a bit more intelligent in releasing the lockdown. Yes. You may be able to, you know, um, allow people to, you know, to, to start once again having public gatherings. But you need to have tools to do that.
0: And can I ask you about 5G networks? I mean, we hear a lot about how this is not a viral infection, but actually it's a a consequence of uh, the rollout of 5G networks. And I know a number of conspiracy theories have been going around and I've received a few on social media. I mean, I, I hate to ask it, but what what's your... What's really your perspective uh, in case some of our listeners believe in in this argument?
2: I mean, I don't think there's any credible evidence. That's the point. To me, it just sounds like nonsense. Um, You know, the, um, the, the one suggestion is that 5G somehow suppresses the immune system. And the other claim, I think one of the other theories is the virus is somehow using the 5G network's radio waves to communicate and pick victims and accelerate its spread. Um, but I mean, the, 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 whole issue is, is that, you know, people talk about radiation. Um, and, th- and this is where it's just simply to do with, you know, I think basic education. I mean, the, the radiation and the radio frequencies, which are used in mobile phone networks, including 5g, it's, it's not ionizing radiation. It's non ionizing radiation, meaning it, it doesn't have enough energy to break apart the chemical bonds in the DNA in our cells in order to cause damage. So ionizing radiation, you know, what we've seen at Hiroshima, Nagasaki, the aftermath of uh, Chernobyl, uh, the uh, nuclear uh, disaster uh, in uh, Japan. Fukushima. All of those, yeah, exactly. Um, There, you know, you have uh, radiation, which, you know, we know can cause radiation sickness can damage cells. We know that radiation uh can kill cells. But that's gotta be ionizing radiation. It's it's not the kind of uh radio frequencies we're talking about here. Um so there there's no evidence. Um that just doesn't stack up, I'm afraid, that the uh the the, the the possibility of um uh causing that kind of damage. And then the other theory is um some suggestion that bacteria could generate radio waves. And that's a very controversial idea with very little evidence. And the other issue is, I mean, this COVID-19 is spreading in in many UK cities where 5G hasn't been deployed and other countries as well, like Japan, Iran, they don't have 5G technology. And Um, some have
0: forwarded uh, prophetic medicines as a solution to safeguarding us from COVID 19 and, and uh, even being a treatment for COVID 19. I mean, what would you say about that as a doctor?
2: I mean, I, I, I don't think, uh, you know, we can say that any of these things which people talk about um, are a specific cure for COVID 19. We, we don't, I mean, the, the bottom line is we don't know uh, of a treatment um that doesn't mean there isn't a cure we know that uh, you know this is a hadith of the prophet sallallahu that for every disease there is a cure so seek the cure so you know mankind so this is something which is being put in the realm of man to look for the cure and, and this is you know the the pursuit of science um the pursuit of medicine uh, these are noble things in islam to look look for cures to look for medicines uh to treat the ill uh and and that of course is very very important that uh, you know we do that um the things which are mentioned obviously in the you know in the islamic scriptures these are good things to adopt at any time you know in order to improve uh one's overall health um you know th- there's nothing wrong with that but to cite them as being specific cures for this condition or any other particular condition is is uh, problematic yes you know there are there are things within which you know, there are, you know, which we know from the sunnah, things like hijama, for example, things like black seed oil, uh, date, honey. Um, these things are, you know, uh, are recommended. But, you know, we we don't know of any specific evidence to say that they can cure a specific disease.
0: Well, Jazakallah Khair, Dr. Imran Wahid, and earlier Dr. Naveed Sayed, and uh, your contributions have been valuable today. Uh, Dr. Imran, would you like to... Uh, leave with a, a a final message to our listeners about uh, covid-19
2: i would you know advise people to you know follow the the expertise and the the medical advice um which seems to be very clear this is you know a very problematic condition unfortunately we don't know a great deal at the moment about you know some of its complications we we don't have any good tested tried treatments yet so uh, until we do, it's it's very important people take this seriously. They, you know, they they follow the advice to kind of uh you know, to socially distance and to, to stay at home. That's the situation we're in. And a final message
0: to our listeners, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep you safe in these uh, difficult times. Uh please do uh, send us your comments. You can uh log on to our website, www.thinkingmuslim.com. That's thinkinmuslim.com. And you'll be able to fill in a form and uh, give your comments as well as propose any future guests and topics that you may have that we can cover. Uh, But we value value your feedback and uh, we really would wish you to to get in touch with us. And uh, please do look out for my course, which I'm going to hold. Uh, It's an online course on uh, comparative theories uh, looking at liberalism, socialism and Islam. And again, you can find out more information about that on uh, thinkingmuslim.com. But until next week, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.